I dedicate this year to the birthday of my twin sister. I don't celebrate birthdays, but she does. So this is in honor of my twin sister. That's a load of tosh. <laughs> May she live long. May she live long and be well. Arichas yomim olomim. Thank you, thank you. I want to begin today with a quote because these are hard times. In Kafka's cryptical parable, Before the Law, a man stands before a gate seeking entry into the law. The gate is open, but at its side is a gatekeeper who refuses his request to enter. The man uses every stratagem that he can think of to gain the gatekeeper's permission, but every attempt fails. This stalemate continues until the moment of death arrives, and the tale ends with the following exchange, and I quote, Look, if every man strives after the law, says the man, how does it happen that in all these years nobody but myself has demanded entry into the law? The gatekeeper recognizes that the man has already reached his end, and so as to reach him through his failing hearing, he shouts to him, Nobody else can obtain permission here. This entrance was destined for you, and now I am going to shut it. What this tale signifies is anyone's guess, and that's what makes Kafka the prophet for the 20th century, and I would say into our horrific age. Not surprising, but given that the author is Kafka, of course, is he describing a world of absurdity in which one is simultaneously granted a portal and barred from entry into the nomos, into law, into rationale, into rational behavior? Alternatively, had the man simply strolled up to the gate without asking permission to enter, and would the gate have, gatekeeper just stepped aside had he not kept asking permission? What we can say is this. Entrances are complex. They can be simultaneously open and inaccessible. And I think we are now at the entrance of a new age. I think this wonderful age post-World War II, where there was this understanding between the nations of the civilized world, that there are limits to behavior in war. I think this whole thing is ended now. And I think we're entering a new age. What we can say is that these entrances are complex, difficult, open and inaccessible to making sense. And there are portals that we are meant to enter, and yet we fail to do so through a combination of factors within and beyond our control that affects everything we decide today. Every step we make, every step our country makes, opens up possibilities and, and dangers. So I want to talk about this Petach Ohel Moed, this entrance to the Ohel Moed as we end with the Exodus. But in our minds and in our hearts is the horrific activities that are going on on the geopolitical and we and we have to we have to relate everything that that's in our hearts to the way we read our sacred texts and our tradition to make it relevant. And so, what is it about the tent, the tent of meeting, the Mishkan that we now complete? And what relevance does it have? I look at myself as concentric rings of circles. The inner ring of the circle is the divine self within me. The next ring outside that is the conscious self, the ego, 
uh, with the dark side and its addictions and everything else of the complexity of that ego. And the next ring is my family. The next ring is my ethnic participation in a group of people that share the same identity, albeit it's very fraught for me, very conflicted about that circle. And looking at that circle outward to the next ring, which is me as a human being, as a physician, as a role player, taking care of my regiment, taking care of my patients as a human being, in that intersection between those two rings, there is an entrance. There, there is a gatekeeper. There is a gateway. So we can look at the Ukraine crisis the way everyone does in terms of its humanity and the humanitarian crisis. But then we also have to look at it from the purpose of our ethnic crisis. The Jews that are left in the Ukraine to suffer, the Jews that are being used as whipping boys by the world media, the way Zelensky appeals to world jury as if there is this construction of world jury that can come to his rescue. What do we look at that? Well, we as an ethnic group are like a ship on a raging sea, and we are tossed and turned by the events of history, the Holy Roman Empire, the medieval period, right? All the way down to the modern period. In modern European history, the Jew as outsider and insider, this, this, this gatekeeper into Western society. Kafka really understood that so deeply as a, an enlightened Jew in Prague at the turn of the century. So let's dive into these texts with all that fraught consciousness that we bring as thinking people in that intersection between the ethnic ring that surrounds us and the humanitarian ring that is surrounding that. So let's, let's dive in and start with the Pasuk that I want to uh, start with, which is the last Pasuk in Exodus. Kianan Adonai ala Mishkan. So the framing text of, of Exodus in the beginning to the end will surround it. And what surrounds it is this motif of clouds. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, the glory of God filled the Mishkan. And the Pasuk before says, Velo Yovo, and Moses could not enter. He did not have access. Moshe could not enter the tent of meeting, for the cloud rested on it. So there's this, there's this dance between when the cloud is there, he can't enter it. When the cloud is there, he can enter it. So what is the significance of the cloud in that allowing him access to this place, this space, this spiritual space. When I think of Mishkan, I think of not just the historical Mishkan, the mystical Mishkan and the Mishkan within each of us, that sacred space of sanctity that's within each of us. So Rebzreka brings a problem of this text about access to the divine. What are you telling me? It says in one passage, Moshe couldn't enter the tent of meeting. Because the cloud was there. Apparently, the cloud is there, and God and he couldn't enter. And yet, 20 chapters earlier by Harsinai, it says, and Moshe entered the Onon. So there is a problem. Now Rashi brings that problem in the very last verse of Exodus and says, 
Every time one of the 13 midos of the Torah, Nidoreshes, one of the 13 principles of interpreting the, the sacred text with the oral law, the 13 hermeneutical principles is, if you have two psukim that are contradictory, one posuk says he can go in, the other posuk says he can't go in, so we bring a third posuk to resolve it, and Rashi brings that from the Tanchuma. And the third posuk is Ki Shachanolov uh, Anan. That is, Kol Zaman Shehoya Alov Anon. He couldn't go in. And whenever the cloud lifted, he could go in. So the third posuk resolves the issue by saying the access to this Mishkan was deterred by the gatekeeper in Kafka's parable, the gatekeeper being the cloud. The cloud was there, you couldn't go in. The cloud lifted, you could go in. That's Rashi's quote of the Tanchuma. Look what the, look what, um, the, the Gemara says. Gemara is not satisfied with that. The Gemara is keeping us in that tension between the two. And in this dramatic moment, this teaches us, Malamed, there's no way around the problem. The cloud is the gatekeeper. You cannot enter because of the cloud. Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> the hand came out of the cloud and grabbed him and pulled him into the cloud. God had to do something deus ex machina, according to Reb Zreka. An absolutely wonderful image. The setup is there are gatekeepers, there are borders. You can cross the border or not cross the border. It depends on the gatekeeper. No, there is one thing that's beyond the gatekeeper, and that's a Kodesh Baruch Hu, who can break the rules. He can break the rules about who can go in and who can go out. Now, let's dive into what is really going on here. We're told in the Medrash, B'Shosh Omar Kodesh Baruch Hu, to Moshe Lasos es Mishkan. So this is Truma Tetzave Kisisa Vayakel Pekude. Five, we're going back five sedras. The moment that God said to Moshe, build me a Mishkan, what happened? Miad Oma Moshe Lisrael Vichuli Truma. Hoya Moshe Osa Bemishkan Vahoyu Litsonim Omrim Efsha Shechina Shor Albane Amram. Right there in Truma, remember this is happening in Pasha's Truma. The Egel doesn't happen till Kisiso, which prompts a whole discussion about Ein Muktam Vemucha Batoira and Ramban and Rashi conflict, whether this occurred before the Egel or after. But assuming this occurred after the Egel on the timeline, so Moshe tells Am Yisrael, apparently then becomes a, a resolution to the problem of the Egel. We've talked about this before. It's a kind of substitute for the Egel. You needed some kind of representation of the divine. Okay, let's do it in a kosher way. Here's the Mishkan. What happens immediately with Moshe's command to Am Yisrael? Immediately, midrashically. Hoyu leitzone Yisrael omrim. The litzonim, the scoffers of Am Yisrael, began to chepper him. And what did they say? Very interesting kasha. They're much frumer than Moshe. You think that you're going to build a Mishkan, you're going to walk into that cloud like you walked into the cloud on Har Sinai after what's taken place, after the Egel? There is no way we're going to be forgiven. 
They are very conservative, these scoffers. We like to think the Lutzonim are the guys that just make fun of, Lutzonus. I'm not so sure. I think that the Midrashic mind is giving the Lutzonim a very, very important theological problem. How is it possible, after taking us out of Mitzrayim and giving us this Har Sinai, that, you know, a, a day after he fails to show up, we're building golden calves? We talked about Micha, we talked about the Kishof, we talked about how it just appeared, the miraculous nature of it. These have to be taken seriously, these scoffers. Efsha shehashchina shura al yedei ben Amram. This ben Amram, this 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 two bit ben Amram. You think that that after what took place, Amar Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Yochanan gives us something very interesting. So Rabbi Yochanan says the Egel took place on Tishabav and the forgiveness took place on Yom Kippur, the ninth of Tishri. So Rabbi Yochanan says, when was this command given? It was given the day after Yom Kippur. Okay. So the command was given to build in Pasha's Pekude on the 11th of Tishrei. So now he makes the claim that, the, that it took six months to build the, 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 the construction. The first three months was the construction. That brings us to Hanukkah. V'gimel Chadoshim Asau, V'gimel Kadoshim Kipluha. I don't understand what that word means, nor to the Mepharshim. To be kaful means to bend in half, to fold it. Maybe it was a portable mishkan, and they had to wait another three months to unfold it. What does the word kapluha mean? So some people say it was folded. Some people say that the word kifluha could be arrange it, meaning assuring that each of the tabernacle's components was in the correct location. There is nothing in the Torah that tells us how long this took. This is a midrash. And the Midrash is very, very, out, uh, very surprising by telling us, why not just say it took six months? No, it took three months. And in Psikta Rabasi, it says that it was completed on the 25th of Kislev. So it began on the 13th of Tishrei, as you can see here. It ended on the 25th of Kislev. And... The month of Kislev obviously lost out and God repaid it with the rededication of the temple by Hanukkah. That was a beautiful psikta that God paid back the 25th of Kislev. Kislev was complaining, wait, what happened to me? You forgot about me. So psikta Rabasi says, no, 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 I'm going to give you a gift and that'll be Hanukkah, the dedication of the temple after its reconstruction. Fine. And now for three months, it's sitting there folded up. Afal Pikain, Hoyu Melitzin Achrov. And now the Melitzim, the scoffers, are coming back at him again and saying, You see, we, we told you the tabernacle has been made. God said that God would rest the divine presence in the tabernacle. Well, it was made already on the 25th of Kislev. What the hell is going on for the next three months? The Hakodesh Boruchu Niskaven. There was a reason for this. What was the reason for waiting for Rosh Chodesh? Nisan. What was the reason? And the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah tells us the following. On Pesach, Isaac was born. How do you know that Isaac was born on Pesach? We're not told in the Torah. Because it says that the angel in Vayera, who informed Sarah that she would bear a son, said to Abraham, Lamoed, 
Oshuv. I will return to you at the season, and Sarah will have a son. What is the mean? The Moed, the festival. When did he say it? If he said it on Pesach, the Moed would be Shruos. You can't give birth after 50 days. If you say it was Shruos, then you'd have to give birth on Tishrei, which is Sukkot. No, nah, it doesn't work. She would have to give birth in the largest time frame that you can say from one Moed to the next. And what's that? Well, five months you can have a viable birth. So therefore it had to be, he told her at Sukkot, and that it would be in Nisan. So he was born in Nisan. That's the basis that Gemara for HaKadosh Baruch Hu Niskaven Lahamid Amishkon Vachodesh and Bo Yitzchak. Which of course begs the question, why on earth would we subject ourselves to the late Sonim and wait HaKadosh Baruch Hu Niskaven Lahamid Amishkon Vachodesh and Bo Yitzchak Lo Osa, so he didn't unfold that Mishkan until Kishihigia Osa Chodesh. And then God says to Moshe in our chapter, Bayom Achodesh Arishon Tokim Esamikdosh. Tokim, erect it. And there's a whole medrash about it was too heavy and it did it by itself. That's why Tokim in the Hifil. Osa Shah Amra Ruach Chodesh. Tomano Now you can get rid of the Sifsei Sheker, those scoffers. Those scoffers, you can get rid of them now. Why? Because you, I'm proving you right. The scoffers can be dealt with. There will be access to the Mishkan. Very nice. So, so far we've talked about access to the Mishkan and the cloud. Let's plow on. And with that very last Midrash, we come to a very enigmatic Medrash Agodol that I want to share with you. If you look at the last posuk in Exodus, it says, Kianan Adonai ala Mishkan Yomam Ve'eshtiyelayla. Now it's telling us exactly what happened once it was erect. At night, there was a fire, and in the day, there was the cloud. We had the pillar of cloud covering the tent of meeting, and now we end with the pillar of cloud covering by day. Now look at this unbelievable Medrash Agodol. Normally I don't quote the Medrash Agodol because it's so late, I think it's medieval, but I couldn't find it any earlier, so I am sharing it with you. Kivun she'ro'u Yisrael amud he'anan shochein al ha'mishkon. Once Am Yisrael saw the pillar of cloud shochein al ha'mishkon, Somchu, they were happy. They hadn't seen that cloud. They hadn't seen that cloud since the Anan covering the mountain at Har Sinai. They were happy because Achshav Nisratzo Bono Akadosh Baruch So you see the Medrash putting it all together. The function of the Mishkan is to show the divine pleasure. That is what it's doing. It is showing the divine pleasure, the grace of the divine. Finally. Very good. The Kivan Shehoyobalaila. Now something very dark happened at night. Yorad Amuto Eish Vesive Vesamishkon. A pillar of fire comes to surround the Mishkon. A pillar of fire comes to surround the Ukraine. And they see a shalhevet of Eish. All they can see is their beautiful Mishkan that they donated to. Six months it's been waiting to be takim. 
and they see it now coming up in a large flame. Hitchilu mitzdar in ubochen, in the middle of the night, in that dark night of the soul. Our Mishkan goes up in flames. Everything we try to do during the day, geopolitically, internally, all the work we've done during the day goes up in flames, in the flames of the dreamlike state of our unconscious desire. Ubochin, and they are crying, Va'omrim, Oi Lanu, woe is to us. Lorik Yorganu, we have toiled in vain. Mashiosinu Vigdalnu. All that malocha that we've done to create our lives, to create our careers, to create a society, it's all going up in flames. Nisraf Lushakala, it goes up in an instant, in a world war. It just goes up, poof. The history of the world is the history of war, not peace. And what we've experienced the last 70 years was an aberration in history. We're back on the stormy waters. Hishkimu baboike. So they woke up in the morning. They've been sitting shiver all night for all their lives and all their, that sense of waste. My life. What have I accomplished? Nothing. Lorik yoganu. V'rao Yisrael amut he'onon makif. Suddenly in the morning they see, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Not so fast. There's the cloud. It's back. The light of consciousness, the sun comes up, and there's the cloud. Miyad Samhu Simcha Yaseira. Now they had a Simcha Yaseira. Apparently, there's a Simcha when they had the relief that God still loved them and still uh, accepted their forgiveness from the Egel. But now there's an added Simcha. This is the testimony. She'im Yirtzulasos Kazeh. Because if they want to, they can do like this. Now the Balamedrish adds, I think this is a later strata of Midrash because this beautiful drush is such a lovely literary unit in and of itself. But now let's look at the later edition of Art Scroll adding the pious commentary. And I think it's really interesting the proof text that he brings. Kol kach loma. Why is that? Why, why did God do that? Why would he put us in a situation where at daytime it's a cloud and you feel good about yourself, feel good about your nation, your ethnicity, look at me, we're back in his graces, the headmaster has forgiven us, and now at night you have this constant anxiety that everything I've accomplished is for nothing. Why do we have to live in this schizophrenkite? And he says something just unbelievably enigmatic that I never would have expected him to bring. I would have expected him to bring a, a, a pious verse from Jeremiah, <laughs> but he doesn't. What does he do? He says, This is out of, a, of, of an abundance of love. He, he set it up this way. He set it up that there should be this dialectic, this sine wave, this, this rotsu, this shuv, this coming and going, this ebbing and flowing of the spiritual life out of love for Am Yisrael. And he's going to use a proof text that comes from the love between two beloveds. Cheinu Omer, 
Betzilo betzel anani hakovod hichbadeti v'yashavti. Let's go into that posuk in Shia Shirim, ladies and gentlemen. What does the Shia Shirim posuk tell us? It's in the uh, second chapter of Shia Shirim. Ketapuach ba'atzei hayar. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest. An apple tree is very different to the trees of the forest. Why? He explains. Like the metaphor of an apple tree, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the sons. There is something unique about an apple tree. Uh, the fruit comes before the leaves, according to the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah. There are certain characteristics of an apple tree that's different to the rest of the forest. And, and it's, it's distinguished from the rest of the forest. So too is the beloved among the sons. And now the parallelism, the biblical second half is, B'tzilo chimadati v'yoshavti. One thing, in his shade... I delighted and sat. So the apple tree apparently gave me shade, which other trees didn't. And look at the Balamedrash, he says, Betzilo, remember we've talked about Betzalel, in the shadow of Ale, who gave him all the, the directives how to ba- make the Mishkan. Betzal anane hakovod. Betzal anane hakovod chimadati v'yoshavti. So, He's taking that proof text from that love verse. The smell of the apples. The shade it gives me from the sun. That is what you are giving me, my beloved. We're applying that to the Anane HaKovod. In the shade of the Anane HaKovod, I dwelt and I delighted. And now the punchline, Upirio Matok Lechiki. Wow. Upirio and its Fruit is so matok, so sweet to my palate. What does that mean to be sweet to the palate? So if you dive into the Medrash on Shia Shirim for that verse, I, I quote, Lechiki, Upirio matok lechiki. He is saying something really very personal about the understanding of taste. It's lechiki that it's sweet to my palate. Avolecheik umos olom hoyo mar kelana. But to the palate of other nations, it's as bitter as wormwood. What the Bala Medrash is saying on this pasuk in Shiashirim is that not only is he giving me, the Anani HaKovod is giving me that delightful shade, but not only that. The Atseha Yar, that particular apple tree, is giving me pirio. It's giving me a fruit that is matok, sweet, only lechiki. It's an idiosyncratic taste for the apple tree. Quoting from Rabbi Yitzchak, the palate. These are the 12 months the Israelites spent at Har Sinai sweetening themselves with the words of Torah. Ah, the sweetness that he's talking about of this apple is sweet to me because it is the Torah that is only sweet to me. His fruit was sweet to my palate, to my palate, but to the palate of the nations it was as bitter as gall. The effect of 12 months facing Sinai is, as Zornberg tells us, an educated palate. The sweetness of Torah is not accessible 
to the uninformed palate. Only those who have experienced all the fire of Sinai, of the golden calf, the fire enveloping the Mishkan during the night, will develop a connoisseur pleasure, perhaps even an arcane delight in this enriched consciousness. The sweet fruit of Sinai ultimately represents a people sweetened, seasoned, pacified to a new self-awareness. I love it, but it's not dark enough for me. <laughs> because I think we have to in this post-Holocaust times, where the fires of Putin's reigning cannons come down on us, we have to say that that sweetening is also this paradoxical sweetening of the nighttime of the fire. It's not just that we become connoisseurs through the educated palate of training of the sweetness of Torah, but it's the sweetness of Torah that came from the Sinai that was burning like a volcano. There is something about the coolness of the fiery cloud and the heat of the volcanic eruption that reflects the human soul, that reflects that kind of duality uh, of the human soul and of human history that gives us that sense of the connoisseur. And I want to end with this wonderful chiastic structure that I couldn't do any better than David Foreman does in his book, in which you see from the literary perspective the entire Sefer of Shamos. It begins with the cloud of God, that Moshe is invited into, and it ends with our posuk, with the cloud of God. There is the command to build the tabernacle in Pasha's Truma, and the actual building in our Pasha's Pekude. In Vayakel, we're told about the appurtenances of the Mishkan, and it is framed by Pasha's Kisiso, which is the central chapter 34, that talks about the golden calf. It is as if that this becomes a kind of psychological holograph, not just historically, not just from the literary style, but we can internalize this precise motif in our psychodynamic and geopolitical struggles, that it is always the conflict between the coolness and rationality of the daytime and the darkness of the anxiety of the night and what we do with that anxiety in our acting out, in our avodah in our love of war, in our love of power and, the, and, and the, the skill to power. And so I think that we come back to Kafka, that it, this is all about access access to the deepest parts of ourself, that the access to the deepest parts of ourselves has to go through the dark night of the soul, which is the fire that surrounds the tabernacle at night, reminding us of how slippery the slope is to get into self-interest and self-aggrandizement and to look for the easy answers through our own addictive uh, addictions within and the addictions without to the military-industrial complex that is the dark side of democracy. And yet, we are invited to the inclusia, to the outer limits that is the hope that this coolness and wetness and sweetness that comes with this higher level of consciousness is that sweetness that only comes with the connoisseur, 
through history we become connoisseurs. The palate becomes refined. The taste becomes refined. The taste for the sweetness of Torah that should inform us as we go through these dark times. And that, that I hope, should be the message for us as we face the difficult days ahead. To pray for our brethren in that inner circle of ethnicity. For Klal Yisrael that is tossed on the storms of Europe. It's been doing that for a thousand years. And we are always, you know, we are always the, the, the kick boy. We are the litmus test of what's going on. Both for the good, for culture and for bad. And that we somehow tame this inner beast. That tame this inner Putin. As Jung said when he talked about the Nazis. That we have in this culture, this inner Wotan, he called the Nazis, that, that, that horrific beast that comes from the Aryan race. We have this bear that's been tickled and let loose now. That we should, on the geopolitical level, that starts within our own darkness, that we should be able to find a healing and a resolution uh, to this horrific times.